All right, great seeing you here this morning. Hope you have an enjoyable fourth and that you're back here next Sunday morning. We celebrate uh, our independence together. And uh, like Kevin said, it's been great being back these past weeks. And, and uh, I hope we never get to the point where we take that for granted and uh, that we uh, know the importance of being here and being together and being a, uh, a part of what God is doing here at Grace. And in the weeks since we've been back, we've been talking about that good news. We're, we're going to talk about another area today, an area in which we've been blessed. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been incredibly blessed, immeasurably blessed. And the fact is that if we're believers, we have the Spirit of God living in us, His presence making a difference in our lives. And that's true for every believer from the moment they trusted Christ until now. So what we're going to do today is just hit some highlights about what he's actually like and what he does in our lives. But before we get going so much into it, let me point out a couple of factors just for a starting point. First of all, we know that the Holy Spirit's a person, right? He's not a force. I know that may seem like it goes without saying, but I just watched a guy preach this week online. He's preaching about how the Holy Spirit's a force and not a person. We know he's a person. We know that because when we look at scripture, we see personal pronouns being used of him. We see personal characteristics like intellect and personality. We see him doing things that are personal, things like making us new. That's a whole idea of us being born again, as, a, as the scripture puts it. That happens because of the Spirit. He convicts us. He calls us into service. He intercedes for us. He's doing all these personal things. And then we know he's a person because you can actually do personal things to him, oddly. You can lie to him. You can grieve him. He can be tested. He can be resisted. Got all these factors, personal pronouns, personal characteristics, personality, personal acts, personal treatment. He's clearly a person. But he's not just a person. He's also God. And it's great to know, great to know he's not some lower creation. He's not some second rate stand in. No, he's God. And how do we know he's God? Well, again, we go back to the scripture. We see him described there, described there with the same attributes as God. I mean, he's got all the omnis, right? Omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. He's got it all. He's described as being eternal. There's the same in his essence, in his nature, he is the same as the other members of the Trinity. He also does the same things as God. We're told he creates, he regenerates, he inspires, as in the sense of the inspiration of Scripture. As we hold God's word in our hands, we know we have that because the Spirit of God led men to write. We also know he's God because we can see him associated with the Father and the Son. I mean, think about the baptism of Jesus. Jesus obviously there, the Father speaking, and the Spirit descending like a dove. He's associated with the Father and the Son. We see that as well in, in what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, where it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They are connected. They are tied together. And then a final reason I just wanted to point out that we know he's God is because he's directly called God. 
Well, we've got the example, for instance, of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember their story as they, uh, in Acts chapter 5, they had a piece of land. They went and sold that land. And then what they do, they, they brought the money into the church and they said, hey, this is all we got. And when they actually held back part of it. And so they lied. And Peter confronted Ananias with that lie. And he said, Ananias, in Acts 5.3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did not it remain in your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So you've got Peter equating lying to the Spirit with lying to God. You look at all these factors and we know he's clearly God. And that's our starting point. We're dealing with a person who is God. And with that as our foundation, think about the statement that Jesus made about him in John 14, verse 16. Jesus is getting ready to go away, and he's talking about leaving, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The helper. You may have heard the definition of that term, the Greek term, someone called alongside. Someone called alongside to help you, to encourage, to challenge you. I'll never forget driving through uh, Des Moines, Iowa years ago, and we were on vacation, and we had the van packed down, all the kids are in the van, all this luggage and everything, the sleeping bags, the tent, whatever we had. And we had a camper uh, on the back, and we're going through Des Moines at rush hour, and everybody, the traffic is crazy, and people are just flying. And uh, came up over a hill, and I, and I was sort of flying too, and, and <laughs> came up over a hill, and just as we top the hill, I see this large sheet of sheet metal laying there, and, and there's nothing I can do. The traffic's on either side, and I, I can't stop soon enough. I know I'm going to hit it, and I hit it, and sure enough, and it, it just ripped apart a tire, on, a tire on our camper. And I am doing everything I can to hold on to this van, keep us on the road, and then I eventually am able to get everything sort of settled down and get over and get on the shoulder. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of room on that shoulder, though. And, and I get out, and I'm looking at this tire. I can't believe it's just in shreds. And uh, I, I start looking for my lug wrench, you know, my, my four-way. I can't find it anywhere. And uh, finally, I, 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 I think, okay, the only thing I can do is I, I grab a ratchet in a socket. Oh, this is not going to be fun. And I, and I go and I squat down by this tire and I'm starting to loosen these lug nuts. They're not coming. And traffic is just flying by me, behind me. I mean, I can feel the air, you know, as these tractor trailers. It's like I could reach back and touch one if I wanted to lose an arm. And, and it is, it's bad. I've got grease all over me. I'm sweating. I've got my, literally, my, I'm bleeding you know, I'm kind of tearing apart my knuckles trying to get this. I'm just, it's just a bad situation. I'm thinking I'm going to be dead at any second. And uh, uh, as just as I'm just wondering what to do, and I've, you know, I've been praying, God help me, help me. I don't know what to do. I can't get these lug nuts off. A, a, a little white truck pulls up behind me and stops. And a guy opens his door. And on the side of his door, I see the sign, Highway Helper. I'm like, 
You got to be kidding. This is, I've never heard of a highway helper before, but I'll take it. And he's like, Could I, you need some help. But I said, yeah, do you have a four-way? I, I, I don't. He's like, sure. He reaches in the back of his truck, pulls it out. And then he goes over and bends down and starts changing my tire for me. I mean, the whole moment has just changed for me. I've gone from desperation to, wow, this is good. This is great. This guy's helping me out. He gets it done, and he gets it done, and I say, hey, do I owe you anything? No, 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 that's what we do. Glad to do it. Back in his truck, and he's gone. I get back in the van, and we start heading down the road. It was, and I'm like, wow, my whole day has changed because of that guy stopping to help me. And I'm so glad that I'm not laying in the middle of the road somewhere and then my bleeding has stopped, you know? It just changed everything. How much better is it to know that we have the Spirit of God as our helper? Because Jesus, Jesus as our helper, the sitting our, having the Father send the helper for us, our helpers sent by the Father, not, you know, not by the state of Iowa, sent by the Father to help us. And, and as much as that guy was a help to us, you know what he did? He left. He, he, he didn't follow us around the rest of our vacation, you know, there for us if we need anything. He didn't even follow us through the rest of Des Moines. He was gone. But the Spirit of God comes to stay with us forever. He doesn't just show up when things go bad. We're told he lives in us. The one who is God himself lives in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You know, we probably don't get that picture of the temple as clearly as the people back then did, especially the Jewish believers. They, you know, they'd grown up in a time and a culture where the temple was everything. It represented the very presence of God with his people. And, and then they're told this incredible truth that we're now the temple and the Spirit of God lives in us. This was new, exciting news to them. The Holy Spirit living in us. See, see, the Spirit didn't always live in people like that before. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit temporarily coming on people to enable them to carry out God's plan. We're told he came upon Moses, and then on the 70 leaders that Moses chose to help him. And then he came upon Saul, and he came upon David. So the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and he would go. After the work was done, whatever it was that God had him to do on a specific occasion, then, or when people began to disobey, he would leave. But God began to work differently with humanity with the coming of Jesus. When Jesus died, God established a, a new temple for his spirit, living in every believer who trusts in him as Lord and Savior. And now in this new temple, there's permanence and there is closeness because we have the person who is God living in us permanently. 
That sounds pretty awesome, and it is. Let's think about it. We know he's with us, but what exactly does he do? Well, how does he help us? So we're going to name some of the ways, not all of them, but some of the ways, and just think about a few with me. First of all, we know he convicts us. He convicts us. John 16, 7, 8 says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he convicts. That's something to be actually thankful for, right? That, that conviction is God's way of letting us see the repulsiveness of our sin and the glory of God. It's the Spirit that caused that to happen, to open our eyes so that we can see our situation before God. We would have never seen it on our own. We could have never responded to it on our own. He convicts us of sin, and He convicts of righteousness. He convinces us that there is a standard of right that God has established. And aren't we glad to know that God's established that right? I mean, especially right now in our world where what is right seems to be constantly shifting. But God's standard never shifts. And it's perfectly, and, and it's, it, it's perfect in its standard. He convicts us of righteousness and he convicts us of judgment. He shows us that there's a day of reckoning coming where God will mete out justice because that standard of righteousness that he established has been broken. At some point, if you're a believer, you became convinced of these things. And that was the work of the Spirit in your life, convicting us. So glad he does that for us. He keep, he's helping us with that, and he keeps helping us. He's not done. We're also, we also know that he seals us. It's, it's actually... Another reason that we know we're eternally secure, like we talked about last week. But one of the reasons we can't lose our salvation is because the Bible tells us when we believed at that moment, we were sealed in him, sealed in Jesus with the Holy Spirit who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The Spirit is the seal. He's the mark of ownership. He's the mark of ownership that we belong to Christ. The seal also represents his protection. That's what makes us secure. It shows authenticity that we are who he says we are. He is the guarantee. He's the pledge. He is the down payment, the guarantee of our inheritance, our eternal destiny. The Holy Spirit accomplishes all that for us when he seals us. He's helping us, and he keeps helping us. He's not done yet. He also intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, we have this incredible truth there. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He intercedes for us. You ever think about the fact that, a, that there's a member of the Trinity praying for you? Does that ever grab you a little bit? 
And he makes requests for you to the Father. You ever feel like your prayers sometimes aren't up to par? You know, that maybe you aren't praying like you should or for as long as you should. Maybe you feel like you don't know exactly what to pray or how to pray. Well, here's the good news. The Spirit of God knows how to pray perfectly for us. It's not to say we shouldn't pray better or pray longer, but it's just so encouraging to think that the Spirit of God is naming us before the Father and praying perfectly for us and our needs. You mean, I mean, talk about something that's calming. Talking about something that brings you confidence. The Spirit of God praying for you perfectly before the Father. You get a hold of that truth, there's not a whole lot can shake you. He intercedes for us. Now, we all know how, how encouraging it is to hear that someone is praying for us. It's good news, right? But to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit is praying for us changes everything. He intercedes for us. He just keeps on helping us. We're also told that he gives gifts to us. These are God-designed abilities we're supposed to use for God's kingdom, for the building up of the church. And it's the spirit that gives those out. He's the one that evaluates and identifies and determines and gives these gifts to us so the body of Christ can be equipped. And, and we're told about these gifts. We know that every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift according to the spirit's choice. We're all equipped to do what God has called us to do. None of us are lacking in that. None of us are lacking in what we've been called to do because he's provided for us. We're all gifted. You know, maybe, maybe you weren't described that way in school, <laughs> but in church we all are gifted. We know that all the gifts are for the common good. The Holy Spirit doesn't give these gifts to build up our egos. It's not about us. They're not given to, for us to build ourselves up. They're given for the benefit of the entire body of Christ. And he distributes them to provide full opportunity and resources for the church and within the church. And we know all the gifts are needed. You know, some of the gifts, they have a little higher profile because they are more visible and more public. But all of the gifts are needed. Every member of the body shares in the work of the Spirit. That's why all of us need to be serving. Because if the gift you've been given isn't put into practice, we're missing something. If you're not sure where to get involved, you know, next time our serve class comes up, jump in on that class. Get involved. Be a part of what God's doing. See, that's the way the Spirit's designed us to work. That's the way the church is supposed to operate. Spirit helping us, giving us gifts. And while we're on the gifts, let me, let me say just a little bit here about what are called the sign gifts. The sign gifts, the gifts of tongues and healings and miracles. Those sign gifts that were given as a way to confirm the message and the messenger, that they're from God. And, and we, you know, some people believe those gifts are still working today. We believe that once the message was confirmed through the Word of God, 
as it was completed, the sign gifts faded away. Like for instance, we know God still heals people every day, right? That's why we pray for people to be healed. But he doesn't use faith healers. He doesn't need faith healers to confirm his message because the way you confirm the message today is by comparing what's being said to what's in God's word. The apostles were unique in the history of the church and once their ministry was accomplished, the need for authenticating signs stopped, it ceased to exist. We see that in the Bible itself. You know, the sign gifts, they were mentioned in the earliest letters like 1 Corinthians. But you get to the later letters like Ephesians and Romans that contain detailed passages on the gifts of the Spirit. And guess what? They don't mention the sign gifts. There's a reason for that. And that's because more of the Word of God has been written and circulated by that time. There's already a way to confirm the message. And we're told explicitly in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, that the gift of tongues was a sign for unbelievers. That's significant. That's very significant. A sign for unbelievers. And what was it about tongues that made them a sign for unbelievers? A sign was like, wow, there's something, was like, whoa, there's something miraculous happening here. So what was it about tongues that made them a sign for unbelievers? Well, the one place we have tongues described for us is in Acts chapter 2. 1 Corinthians goes on to tell us how the gift of tongues should have been used. But it was there in Acts that, that we actually see it in practice, where unbelievers realized that men who couldn't speak their language before were now miraculously speaking their language without any training. You know, they didn't go order Babel. <laughs> they didn't take any classes. They could just miraculously speak a language they, they had previously not spoken, and people heard the gospel in their own language. That's how it was a sign for unbelievers, showing them that the message that they were hearing was true. And that's where things start falling apart with what's called tongues today. What's used as tongues today, the ecstatic speech not a known language. And even if churches follow all the other guidelines that are laid out in 1 Corinthians, which many don't, they aren't being used as a sign to unbelievers. In fact, you'll notice this. Many churches that believe in speaking in tongues, they have no tongues in their services any longer. They've gotten them out of the church service. I've been to some of the largest churches in the country that believe in speaking in tongues, and there are no tongues in their church service. Why is that? Why, if speaking in tongues is evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and supposed to be a sign for unbelievers, would you not have them in your service? Doesn't make sense. I think it's because many of those churches know the, the way they're practiced today does the exact opposite of what they're intended for, real tongues. Instead of helping to reach the unsaved, the way they're practiced today tends to push away the unsaved. They become a reason to reject the truth instead of believing in it. And I think many of those churches know that. And that's also the problem, let me point out, with using tongues, as people like to talk about using tongues as a private prayer language. What's the problem there? Same problem. 
That practice completely fails to use the gift according to the design it was given for, a sign for unbelievers. It's not for us personally. Tongues were a sign for unbelievers. We don't need, and we don't need that sign today because we've got the word of God as confirmation of the message. Let me point out one more negative while I'm on this. And this happens all the time. You've got churches and Christians saying to other Christians that when you came to Christ, you didn't get everything you need. You need another experience. You need to be baptized in the Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Spirit, guess what? Then you'll speak in tongues. And I point out again, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. Romans 8 9 says this. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone, listen, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if a person doesn't have the Spirit, he's not a Christian. And the opposite is true. If he's a Christian, he has the Spirit. It's that simple. You don't have to wait. If you're a believer, you don't have to wait to receive the Spirit sometime down the road. You have him. He was, you know, we've been given, as I mentioned last week, every spiritual blessing. The Holy Spirit's a spiritual blessing. You've been given that blessing. The moment you trusted in Christ, you were baptized in the Spirit. He came to live in you. And all this help came your way. There's always something dangerous about any teaching that divides Christians into groups of haves and have-nots. You know, that's what you get with certain other areas where some are viewed on a certain plane and they're not quite, and others aren't quite there. Whether it's legalism or back in the early days of the church, Gnosticism that said you had to have some special knowledge, you needed to gain some more knowledge and some spiritual knowledge that not everybody else had. Or whether it's people telling you you need to have some other experience. It's all wrong because when you received Jesus, you received everything you need for life and godliness. There's nothing you are lacking. There's no bit of knowledge. There's no new rule. There's no new experience that you need. You certainly don't need the Holy Spirit because you already have him. You've got everything in him. All that just to say that that's some of why we as a church don't believe in the practice of the sign gifts. But we're grateful. We're grateful for the gifts the Spirit has given to us to be used to build the church. He keeps helping us. And the final way we're going to mention that the Spirit helps us is He brings growth to our lives. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. If the, it's a Spirit that can keep us from doing what's wrong. It's the Spirit that can strengthen us in our fight with temptation. Instead of what's wrong, what he produces in us is just a few verses later in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the growth he produces in us. See, if there's growth in our lives, it's the Spirit of God that's producing that. 
We can trust Him to bring out that growth. If we, if we want to demonstrate change in our lives, and that's what we want to see happen as a church, to demonstrate change once a person has decided on Jesus, we want to see their lives change. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that change about, helping us to live in a way that's pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit, God living in us, helping us by convicting us, by sealing us, by interceding for us, by gifting us, by growing us. He's doing all that and more. Vance Havner, a preacher from a generation back, said one time, I thank God for the unseen hand, sometimes urging me onward, sometimes holding me back, sometimes with a caress of approval, sometimes with a stroke of reproof, sometimes correcting, sometimes comforting. That unseen hand in our lives It's the Spirit of God working in us, our helper, always with us. Better than any highway helper, he's with us. So thankful to have him. Good news to hang on to in these days. Things changing so much. We have the Holy Spirit living in us forever, unchanging. You can rely on him. You can rely on him to show you your sin, to protect you, to pray for you, to equip you, to empower you, to live in a way that brings honor to God. It's good news. Thankful today to have him in our lives. And if you're not there, you've not established that relationship with God, you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, there's opportunity for you to do that. He would invite you to invite him into your life. And if you like, have questions about that, you can come talk to one of the pastors. We would be glad to talk with you about that. We're so grateful for you being here today. So grateful that we know so many of you already know Christ and you've got the Spirit of God living in you and he's helping you each and every day with what you're dealing with in life. Be grateful for him today. Let's pray. Father, today we, we praise you today for saving us, for changing us, for giving us your spirit. We thank you for your spirit, God, all that he does for us, all the help that he provides. Father, we are amazed that you would love us so much that you would send your spirit to live in us. And we're so grateful for that opportunity to live life with the help of your spirit. God, I pray for those that may be here who don't have that relationship yet. They take that step, Father, today. They know what it is to be uh, indwelt by your spirit and have that help. We don't have to face life alone. We don't have to face it struggling through on our own. We can face it with your spirit, God, indwelling. So we're so thankful today for that opportunity. God, we pray that you'd bless now these remaining moments, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.